0: Hear the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 18 through chapter 9, verse 1. This reading comes from the Common English Bible, and you can find it on page 619 in the Pew Bible. No healing, only grief. My heart is broken. Listen to the weeping of my people all across the land. Isn't the Lord in Zion? Is her king no longer there? Why then did they anger me with their images, with pointless foreign gods? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, yet we aren't saved. Because my people are crushed, I am crushed. Darkness and despair overwhelm me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then have my people not been restored to health? If only my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night for the wounds of my people. The word of God for the people of God. So here we are in this second
1: week of our sermon series, studying the words of this prolific prophet, Jeremiah. have been a fan of Jeremiah since I first really studied him in college, I've his words, some are hard to hear, but some are are very, very important to hear. In fact, there was a time when we thought we would name one of our boys Jeremiah. You know, we knew we were having twin boys and, well, the one who kicked an awful lot right here on the right side was going to be Benjamin because Benjamin means son of the right hand. And the other one was going to be Jeremiah because that means the Lord exalts or lifts up and we love the name and That's how it was, until about three weeks before their due date. And we realized how cruel it would be to name them that, because all their lives they would be Ben and Jerry. (laughs) And that is how our Jeremiah became Zachary. Perhaps the prophet was speaking to us even then. No, in all seriousness, the job of being a prophet, speaking for God, speaking truth to power, it's one of the most important but least desirable tasks of a person of faith in the whole Bible. Prophets were called to bring consolation to those who were crying and weeping, but also challenge to those who had stepped away from God's ways and a call to realign them back to God. Jeremiah was speaking in the 6th century BCE in Israel at a time of great anxiety as this once mighty nation began to crumble at the hands of foreign empires, and the passion, their commitment to God, seemed to be waning Truly, there seem to be many similarities between Jeremiah's time and ours, and the desire of this four-part sermon series is to offer comfort and challenge, as well as calling all of us to a renewed commitment to God. So today we are asking the question, what makes a prophet cry? Will you pray with me? Oh gracious God, we do... Pray that your word of truth would penetrate our hearts this day. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, when was the last time you had a good cry? When was that? For me... It was just 15 days ago that I stood in that narthex with Benjamin and Zachary, not Jeremiah, on my arms as they were about to walk me down the aisle. Over to the left was my husband Clark with our daughter Abby, dressed in white, about to be walked down here to marry a man who was behind that door with McGray, Eric. He was waiting to come out till I was seated on the front row. The tears were flowing and they were joyful tears tears of love for life and tears for the love that they were expressing with one another and this community of faith. It was a happy, happy day. Those tears are very different than those ugly tears that we get with the red nose and the awkward look on our face and eyes that are, you can barely open because they're so puffy. Those kind of cries follow a trauma, perhaps, or a death of a loved one. That sorrow-filled cry came out of me when my mother died and, and exactly three years later, when my father died, that anguished cry oozed out of me after I was far too close from a violent ambush in Nicaragua when I was serving as a missionary there. And after that event that happened on july the fourth of nineteen eighty seven, I bought this woman, this weeping woman who was kneeling in prayer with skinned knees and a big wound in her heart. And I bought her because she represented for me that whole experience of that week. And I keep her in our family room, for she reminds me daily that people around this world, indeed many of us, are weeping daily. And it helps me recognize that my sorrows are connected with the world's sorrows. Tears, weeping, crying. When was the last time you had a good cry? What was it about? And who was involved? We commissioned our mission team go into Costa Rica at the last service. And we reflected together briefly that they may be experiencing tears of joy and sadness as they work with people who live in poverty there next week. Crying is not a sign of weakness. I believe it is a sign of strength. It is a sign that the heart is open to the needs of others and that the heart has the capacity to feel, to grieve, and to enter into the hurts of those whose hearts are breaking. You know, in many history books describing ancient times, we find lots of references to the custom of collecting one's tears. In fact, in the National Museum in Jerusalem, there is a collection of tear bottles. Several ancient cultures made use of them. And tear bottles can be found in very large number when you open up the tombs of ancient peoples. They are often made of thick glass although the very poor sometimes just had pottery bottles that were not glazed or fired. And they were all made with a slender body with a broad base and a funnel shape at the top. Every member of the family had a tear bottle. They collected the tears of the family. And when serious trouble or a death occurred in the home, all the relatives came together and everyone brought their own tear bottle And as they wept and wailed, the tears rolling down their cheeks, they gathered the tears of one another in their bottles. That bottle was very sacred to them. And it represented all the heartaches and the sorrows and the bereavements from the grandparents down to the smallest child. And when a person died, their tear bottle was buried with them. It was a way of marking your life marking what was important and honoring it can you imagine having bottles in your kitchen of the tears you have cried maybe it would be marked 1975 1998 2001 2016 what a way to measure your life by how much you have cried And I understand some cultures had two bottles, one bottle for happy tears and one bottle for sad tears. And it is said that those whose cups were the most full, whose cups had happy and sad tears, were the ones who were most esteemed in the society, for crying was a mark of having lived greatly and cared deeply. So our text today makes us want to ask the question, what makes Jeremiah cry? What makes a prophet cry? Indeed, what makes God cry? Now, that question may be a little startling because we don't often think of God as suffering, yet Jeremiah's anguish reveals the suffering of a God whose heart can indeed be broken. So what's going on? Why so many tears? Well, McGray mentioned last week and Clark mentioned in the announcements that Dr. Brian Russell, who's coming later this week, he came and spent about five hours, with all of the clergy one day. And he shared with us some important insights into this book. And so some of this may be a little recap from last week, but it bears repeating. There are three hard truths that Jeremiah wanted to get across to the people of Israel. And I think we need to hear as well as individuals, as the church, and as a nation. So the first one is idolatry. Idolatry. Hmm. It's the worship or devotion of something other than God. It is anything that you always do or prioritize that is more important than your relationship with God. It's not literally bowing down to a graven image like we might conjure up in our head from the Old Testament stories as a child, but it, it's more than that. It has to do with all of those things that we prioritize and maybe are obsessed about, power and prestige. It includes our prosperity and our love of money. It could include our love of flag and military might. And it could include our families. Anything could be an idol if we place it before our relationship with God. If, it's, if we do that more than seeking God's presence. The second thing that was grieving Jeremiah was injustice. Jeremiah was quite worked up about this. In chapter 5, he says, To be sure, their evil deeds exceed all limits. And yet, they prosper. They're indifferent to the plight of the orphan and reluctant to defend the rights of the poor. And earlier in chapter 8, he said, I have listened carefully, but haven't heard a word of truth from them. No one regrets their wrongdoing. No one says, what have I done? Everyone turns to their own course like a stallion, dashing into the thick of battle. Injustice. It has to do with any form of unfair treatment about, against another individual or group of people, and it has to do with those actions that cause injury or undeserved hurt to others. It's any act that is unfair to violate another's rights. All we have to do is listen to the evening news or listen deeply to the stories of our neighbors and we can come face-to-face with injustice. The third hard truth Jeremiah speaks about is inviolability. It's a fancy word that is the belief that one is secure and safe from destruction or violence simply because God is faithful. It's the belief that one is invincible or unbeatable because God has blessed them and God is on their side. You see, they thought they had security apart from faithfulness. So the opposite of loving God is idolatry. The opposite of loving neighbor is injustice. And the belief that one is unbeatable apart from faithfulness to God is inviolability. Those are the three big points. But Jeremiah is known for his nickname is the weeping prophet. How sad is that? I mean, really. I dare say there is no other passage in all of Jeremiah that warrants this label for him better than any other. He is crying tears over his people, over God's people, shedding tears over the condition of the world and the mixed up values and priorities of the people of God. He's speaking to the community of faithful. He's not speaking to outsiders. He's speaking to the church, if you will, the covenant community, insiders. He's weeping over their behavior similar to, I believe, what Jesus will weep over Jerusalem in 600 years into the future. Jeremiah is crying over the disaster that is about to come to his country and the people he loves. He's crying and he's praying and he's hoping that God's people would recognize their waywardness and return to God. But since we know the rest of the story, we know they don't learn that lesson until after Judah has fallen, until after their leaders have been taken away in chains, until after their economy is wrecked and their temples have been leveled. Yes, there is much to weep about. Our text ends there is is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? If only my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night for the wounds of my people. You know, if we go to the movies, or we read a story, and often with the sermon We like it when we get to the point of resolution. We like it when somebody is reaching out and blotting our tears. We like a tidy ending. That's why we like Psalm 30. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, it comes in the morning. We like it because it resolves our grief and our hurt and our despair and our pain. And we can live with the depth of pain for a little while knowing joy comes in the morning. But some sermons, they just don't resolve that easily. Today, our scripture does not tie it up so nicely. Rather, our passage is a deep lamentation of Jeremiah over the people of God. And so we sit here for a bit longer with our grief, not because we want to just wallow in self-pity, but because we are trying to be faithful to the call of God on our lives to look around us and to identify with the hurt in this world and to add our tears to God's tears. It just isn't easily, tidily resolved. Do you remember a few months back when we had Reverend Gary Mason here from Northern Ireland? He is a longtime friend of this community and was very involved in the Peace Accords in Northern Ireland. But one thing he said that Sunday he preached was, you know, there are just some times... When you don't need a praise band, but you need a lamentation band. Today's text calls for that. Lamenting together over the pain of this world is so important. Walter Brueggemann says that lamenting is giving voice to our disorientation. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty disoriented when I look at the world today. I wonder about our future as a human race, frankly. I wonder about why there's so much violence in the world and why so many innocent people have to suffer and die. In a world of plenty, why are there so many living with hunger and in poverty? Yes, there's a lot to lament. I mean, every minute, 20 people in the United States are abused by an intimate partner. Every minute. In 2016, the drug overdose, death by drug overdose, mostly from opioid addiction, exceeded 59,000. It is now the leading cause of death of individuals 50 and under. It's a crisis. In 2014, in the state of Florida, one in 10 children lived in extreme poverty. That's half of the poverty level. So you think about homelessness, mental illness, racism, gun violence, anger that lurks in the eyes of so many refugees on and on and on it goes yes there is a lot to cry about and we as the people of faith need to lament together psalm 56 talks about those tear bottles but it puts it this way god put my tears in your bottle and my tears i give to you all of them to keep But here's the thing, that Hebrew word, it doesn't translate the tiny tear bottle. It's the word for goat skin, a huge goat skin bag like they used centuries ago that could carry gallons of water and wine. The psalmist is literally crying buckets. Or maybe the psalmist is saying, God, the whole world is crying buckets and you honor all of the suffering in this world. So mingle my tears, mingle our tears with all the rest and keep them all and use them as you would. Friends, why is it important for us to grieve and to weep? I think as a community of faith, it allows us time to look at ourselves and to ponder the decisions we make, the things we actually do and the things we don't do. It calls the covenant people to change their thinking and see life and see others perhaps in a different way. And crying, crying can be oh so healing. It can be like a healing ointment that you share together. Don't you sometimes feel much better after a good cry? One of my favorite theologians, Frederick Buechner, says this, Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, It is well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them. Friends, what are you weeping about these days? What is breaking your heart? What are those things maybe that you need to take off of your plate and offer to God's tear bottle? You see that little piece of paper that's in your bulletin that colored little piece of paper I want you to pull it out for this is an invitation for you to answer the question what do you think is breaking God's heart what do you think God is lamenting about today in 2017 and what are the things that are breaking your heart I want you to write it down And after the offering has been collected, the ushers have passed your row. I want you to come forward and place your heartbreaks, your tears, into God's tear bottle. This is our version of a wailing wall. Mingling our tears with God's is a way of honoring what matters and seeking God's healing together. Being prophetic— is speaking truth to power. But it is much more than that. It also includes speaking truth to suffering, speaking truth to weakness or laziness or failure to take responsibility. And it doesn't stop there either. It's also a speaking that involves an action of engaging the world and engaging those people especially who are different from us. So for me, for me, this whole text is a call for empathy, weeping with those who hurt far away, and those of us right here in our own context. It's a call for understanding and sensitivity to those things that are breaking the very heart of God today. It's a call to speak truth to power and to suffering and weakness. It's a call to mourn, and if we could truly learn to mourn together, lament with one another, maybe, just maybe, we could come to love others, to love those who are different from us. And if we could authentically love them, our eyes might be open to recognize that the Lord, whom we are crying out to, is already at work among those with whom we are praying already there working among the broken and the suffering of this world and you know what i believe jesus is there as well wounded and pierced and weeping yet speaking a quiet promise of the reign of god that will yet come may it be so let's pray Oh, loving God, it's hard to wallow in this grief with others who are hurting. We are hurting. And yet, when we realize how others are, it just compounds it sometimes. But rather, instead of just wallowing in sadness, move us, Lord, to turn to you. Move us to lay our tears in your bottle. Move us to try to act as your people, and offer love and comfort to those who are hurting. Help us to take a stand against injustice. Help us to not have idols in front of us, and help us to recognize that we need to be faithful. Oh, Lord, we offer our heartbreaks to you this day. Amen. Amen.